Man, this is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already should know. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast, season nine, episode nine. Um, OwlScoop.com editor John DiCarlo joined today by Kyle Gauss back with us. And Declan Landis We've got a great show ahead for you guys. We will recap Temple's loss to UTSA, preview the game ahead on Saturday against North Texas. Got some mailbag questions for you guys. Have some audio from Stan Drayton that's going to lend a little context to all the stuff that we're talking about here. And again, we'll look forward to answering your mailbag questions and all the other crazy stuff that normally comes up. And we're just uh, three people hanging out talking about Temple sports. Um, three guys. Just three guys talking. Three dudes. Guys being dudes. I don't so. like this because you guys like are making eye contact with each other, and I'm just like here in the the metaverse. Well, I mean, you know, you could always come up here, or we could actually buy the the office space for the Owl Scoop headquarters. I'm which just was, throwing that out. There. Which was going to be in Glenside, right? I have no. Well, idea now it's matters. if you ask the IRS, it's in my. It's behind that door because this is all office space that I write off. Yep. Perfect. Yep. There we go. <laughs> I may send us the Addy. <laughs> Meg, John, and Declan are coming over. The Scoop, as always, is brought to you guys by Greenspan and Greenspan Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured while you're on the road or the highway in the crash with someone else's fault, the insurance company will not be on your side. You need us, Temple Law Grads, who will fight hard to get the compensation that you deserve. We only get paid if we win. So in Pennsylvania or New York, call us today at 215-261-7359. That's 215-261-7359. Five, nine, and you can find them on the web at greenspans-law.com. That's greenspans-law.com. Kyle's wearing a, a Braves hat. Are, are we talking playoff baseball or do we just have a gentleman's agreement to, to not talk about that? Uh, I thought we were working under that because no nobody's nobody's chirped at me, which has been appreciated. No. And I did yeah, not I chirp back. You too much. Yeah, look at you, Declan. <laughs> well, see, like Kyle, you're the you're not the annoying Braves fans that I feel like Phillies fans are targeting. You know, like yeah. A- to be honest, though, it hasn't been the best look for Phillies fans in the past couple of days. Here, they've they've come across as somebody like they, I feel like they're overcompensating a little bit. If I'm uh, if I'm gonna be honest with it. Also thought maybe this was the broadcast. I don't know if it's TBS Stadium didn't sound as loud last night as it did last year. Just saying, mm-hmm. just throwing it out there. Maybe it's more throwing it out there. Yeah, that might be it. sounded louder than Atlanta. Uh, and here okay. we are getting it. Congrats. <laughs> were you were you right either? <laughs> we said no. I was. No, we're going to get broke. into it, and here we are. I'm way too broke. No, yeah. Uh, to be honest, I mean, it's kind of just like it is what it is. Bro, I'm I'm a, you're catching me at my low moments because even though I, even though I knew Game Three was going to go the way it went because it's the exact same thing that happened last year, where Brian Snicker doesn't forgets his game plan going into it. But I'm at my low, but I might be at a high again after today. I assume nothing. I take nothing for granted. The overconfident Phillies fans scare me. Yes. Agreed. Yeah, for sure. Agreed. Um, If the Braves lose two games with Spencer Strider going up against Rangers Suarez, then like, yeah, congrats. Like you deserved to lose that series. So (laughs) here it is. I don't buy any of the bullshit excuses that Braves fans are putting out there. Like the, which a lot of it I think is a little bit media construed with like the, oh, there's an article in the athletic, whatever, about the division series format should change and there shouldn't be whatever it should be. Like, I don't buy any crap like that. Mm. The rust thing is not an excuse. You just played poorly. So we're not done. Podcast. We're not giving up on you. We definitely didn't curse out Brian Snicker last night. <laughs> we definitely have not been reprimanded by our wife multiple times for dropping from Fanny in front of both of our children. That definitely has not happened. Has Jordan picked up? Anything around you? Like, do you have, like, if you're yelling at the TV, like, have Jordan and Haley ever picked up anything around you where they oh, yeah. repeat anything? Oh, yeah. Jordan, oh, John, I said, what the fuck the other day? And I literally just hear in a lower voice, what the fuck? Like, just like, <laughs> like immediate response. Jordan is just, a, <laughs> just immediately bounces things back. <laughs> Haley doesn't, obviously. She says like six words, 95% of which are just daddy. The other one, Jordan is just a sponge. That's so, hilarious. Yeah, it's, it's sick. So the 807 uh, first pitch tonight uh, helps in that matter because they will be a sick. <laughs> it means he has emotional intelligence. I, I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was a parrot then. Parrots repeat things too. <laughs> <laughs> <Two> check. <laughs> it's true. 
<laughs> so let me pay your son a compliment. When I was in the Isle of Palms, or rather when I was in Charleston and went to um, Isle of Palms or yeah, whatever it was uh, in August, I'm like in the shop and I start hearing this like, or like something. I'm like, what the hell is this? Is there like somebody chained up in the corner? No, it's just this parrot just saying random things. <laughs> oh nice! It's kind of like it's kind of like how you hear heard towards the end that like Churchill's parrot just repeated like profanities about the Nazis, <laughs> similar to that. But South Carolina. Uh. Fun fact. Fun fact. Fun cover, uh, yeah. Covered some Churchill, Churchill's parrot. Di- Churchill's parrot didn't die that long ago. How do you know this? Like, Churchill's parrot. You guys gotta from. like read some books. Charlie the parrot, also known as Charlie. I'm sorry. This thing's still alive. Let me rephrase no that. Way. Is not dead. Charlie is 123 years old. Was owned by Winston Churchill while he was prime minister during World War II. According to this story, the vocal bird was taught by Churchill to shout curses at Nazi leader Adolf Hitler. So he, was a socially con- he was a socially not conscious. It's not real. Bird. I don't believe it. That's incredible. If you ever want to get further into somebody that maybe doesn't live up to his reputation, Winston Churchill. FDR, <laughs> I thought he was a, a little bit of a punk. Mm. We've covered Major League Baseball. We've covered World War II. What's the, next? The pets of famous world leaders who Could are no only longer go with up us. From here. Yeah. Famous number nines, guys. Uh, Nick Foles. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, somebody that Temple could really use right now. Every it's Temple awesome. defensive lineman. Yeah, Muhammad Wilkerson, <laughs> Matt Ioannidis. Darian Varner. <laughs> yeah, Darian Varner. Uh, yeah, did Darian Varner wear nine last year? Or did they Is give it, that to Gil? I believe so. Varner wore number nine, yeah. Would they? Okay, okay, okay. Okay. Yeah, Ioannidis, Ioannidis I think would be a good one. He's got nothing else going on. He can come do it. Yeah. <laughs> He's retired. He's yep. retired. If it, yeah, well, obviously, if he suited up, immediately just just registers like twelve tackles Saturday. There you go. Couple yeah, I mean, sacks. You assume, like if he's in like shape and like you were playing in the NFL like nine months ago, I feel like he would just like dominate coming in. Just yeah, just give him a week or two. Stan, yeah. he just, he's not eligible, is he? Oh, we're we're looking into that. Yeah. In the meantime, say, like, that's what it was. Stay today. Look, <laughs> he stayed today. You think you think the NCAA is turning on ESPN Plus to watch Temple UNT? Like you can do whatever you want. <laughs> You can put 14 men out there. As long as the refs don't call it, nobody will know. <laughs> You're telling me they're not paying $80 a year to, to watch ESPN Plus? Not unless it was included in their Disney Plus package, which is what's going on with me. At the Disney yeah. Hulu. I, I, pay f- I pay for Bluey. I just happen to also get ESPN Plus. <laughs> Here we go. Come for Bluey and the bear. Stay for ESPN Plus. Yeah. <laughs> So what Kyle is saying is that Matt Ioannidis might play Saturday down in Denton, Texas. Stay tuned. So a non-zero possibility. First sources. Stay tuned. I'm gonna go Von Hayes. He was a, a, a bizarro Philly of the mm. late '80s. I feel like I'm missing somebody like really obvious. Oh, there are ah uh, Ted Williams, right? Didn't Ted Williams wear number? Yeah, that's nine? not who I'm thinking of though. Um, hmm. Interesting. Oh, don't look at me. You yeah, like I I'm said last out. week. You're oh, good Breeze, me. Breeze is definitely who I'm thinking of. Legitimately, <laughs> Drew Breeze. Okay. Oh yeah, that's a good pick. Who wears yeah, number it's a good Google Giants. number nine for the Giants? Yeah. Right now? Yeah. I have no idea. Mm. I'm emotionally disassociated from that team. That's probably a good idea. Yeah. Is there any franchise in like professional sports that has as many like championships that's so poorly run? Oh, that's a really good question. Like for a, like a team that like has won in spite of itself, basically is the is the Giants, and like they've been really successful over the course of the duration of like history, and they're just so poorly run. Yeah, I mean their two most recent championship wins are like fluke play after yeah. fluke play, and I'm not well, mad like, at it. Don't it get me happened. wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know. It's like the Raiders, kind of like if you like, because the Raiders were so good in like the 70s, but like they haven't been good since. Yeah, they haven't, been, they haven't made the they haven't been Washington. Washington's the same way. Yeah, that this just tells me that like any Super Bowl before like twenty like January February twenty seventeen just it was a Mickey Mouse league. You can do whatever. <laughs> <laughs> or twenty eighteen. Sorry. Wonder why? Why? Anyway, <laughs> promise you guys a lot, a lot of football, a lot of mailbag questions uh, in this episode. Again, Temple coming off a of forty nine. 34 loss to University of Texas, San Antonio, UTSA, DJ Warner, like 42 of 65 passing for 472 yards and five touchdowns. Kyle pointed out on Saturday that he's the only Temple quarterback with three 400 plus yard passing games in his career. 
kind of tell you a little bit about the history of quarterbacking in the program? Uh, yeah, probably a little bit. I mean, I think a part of that's also just like when they were good a decade ago, like all, all Golden did was run the ball, right? Like, and yeah, you had kind of a rotating, but yeah, prior to yeah. that, there was Henry Burris, and that was about it. Prior to Golden. Yeah. Steve Joachim. Yeah, but he was there for one year in the 70s when you didn't throw the ball that much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the defense, as Kyle also pointed out, didn't force any turnovers for a fourth straight game, and that is the longest stretch in the program's history. Uh, they surrendered 495 yards. Frank Harris returned. Obviously, a huge, huge boost for UTSA. He was good as advertised. John Adams, a, a bright spot for Temple in the loss, broke out for 10 catches, 127 yards, and a touchdown. Yeah, he's 6'2", 185-pound walk-on. He's really becoming a capable receiver for them. Bit of a uh, a bright spot there. Guys, just some big-picture takeaways from the game. What what stood out to you? Obviously, it's a loss. It's another loss. Some of the same themes are there. Offensive line could be playing better. The defensive line is decimated. Couldn't really stop anybody. But what do you take from that, from what you saw Saturday? Um, yeah, I think the fact that he is able to that EJ Warner was able to put up numbers like that, throwing to walk-ons and his tight ends basically exclusively, and you know, screens to to Darvon Hubbard, um, is encouraging because it means one of two things. Either it means that the system really works despite of who's in it, or it means that EJ Warner is able to still kind of go through his reads and put his guys in the position to make plays. And regardless of what the reason is, I don't I don't care if like the result's the same. But it's also like it also shows me the other side where that temple is not going to be able to necessarily like talent its way to turn the season around on defense in that like a lot of teams are bad in college football, right? Like a lot of teams are bad. A lot of teams that temple is going to play for the rest of the year are really bad, including a team they're going to play in, in two days is a, is a bad team, but Temple's really bad at one aspect of like stopping the ball, stopping the run that everybody's going to try to exploit. Like every single team that comes in to play Temple has going to have the exact same game plan. There's, I don't think there's really anything Temple could do to stop it. So it comes down to just, are you going to win in shootouts? Which is kind of what it was at the end of the year last year. And then they didn't win in any of those shootouts except for USF, which wasn't a shootout. It was just a thrashing. I, I basically feel the same way I feel now about Temple is what I felt like week 11, week 12 of last year, which is like, they might have figured things out on offense. They might be able to pass the ball. Is that winning football? is my biggest takeback. And I'm also a little less optimistic about EJ's play than you are, Kyle. Um, I think, yes, he had this massive accolade this weekend and he played well, but he was also like 60-something percent of his passes completed, which does not help. You know, he missed some... Like, granted, he he threw a lot of passes, like, threw a lot of touchdowns. a career high for him. It's 65 times he threw the ball. Yeah, sure. and a lot of those were completions, but... There were also some that would have moved the chains at times or made it a little easier that he missed. And we've seen that throughout the season as well. And maybe a, a, that's a product of talent. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's, it's a product of him throwing to guys that are walk-ons that normally aren't that's running the same. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And playing behind an offensive line. That's well, still, that's yeah. that yeah. as well. But I'm just saying like, you know, yes, it was it was one week is what I'm saying. Like how... How much is he going to be able to keep that up? And it's not a it's not a product product of is he good enough to keep it up? Because I'm sure he is. But it's like the pieces around him, you know, they didn't hold up like, but they held up better comparatively, and he was able to do that. So I I just I don't know. I'm I think, hesitant. I think he can keep it up, but and it's just a very small sample size, and it sounds like I'm being critical. But those three 400 yard passing games have all coming losses it came to a, a one came in a loss at houston where again he, he played his butt off another one came in the loss to ecu last year and then of course the the third one came last week again they they could not run the ball joe quest smith 10 carries 27 yards had the costly fumble after he gained 11 yards put the ball on the ground and and stand right and obviously not thrilled after the game he's just simply said yeah disappointed to see the ball on the ground Darvon Hubbard, 11 carries, 25 yards. Now, I thought the I thought Danny Langsdorf called a pretty good game. I thought yes. he was about as creative as he could be. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Got guys in space. Um, it was good to just see something different from yeah, the it, offense. I forget if it was the second DMR touchdown or if it was the first one, but there was one. I, I don't even really remember the details that well. I just remember literally saying out loud to myself, like, God, that was a good play call. Like, they set the, it up the perfectly. The tight end screen? Yeah, the tight end screen. That was the second one, I think. Or yeah. on that drive, whatever it might have been. But like, it was literally like, I think that was his best called game in Empire for Temple. Yeah. And they said it after, I forget, he either said it on Monday or after the game, where it was like, yeah, the end around 
like a few plays before that perfectly, you know, had the defense coming downhill and it set up the the open over the middle. Like yeah. I, that was something that we hadn't heard all season. That and like like that. I don't want to like paint the picture of like, oh, well, they should just abandon the run and they should do stuff like that. But like, I feel like once they've kind of accepted like, hey, we're not going to be able to run the ball that well. And they start using screens more to kind of replace that and little short outs to do that. And that's when they're actually able to kind of like stay competitive offensively is when they basically do kind of abandon the run at times and just say, EJ, you're going to have to throw the ball 70 times this game. Almost kind of like being in a way, I mean, not the, yeah, the 65 to 70 times. I mean, even NFL quarterbacks don't like to throw it that many times, but yeah, yeah almost kind of like, throwing to get ahead, which they haven't done, but throwing ahead and then trying to run to grind the clock out. Obviously, again, they haven't been in that in that role just yet. Otherwise, you know, it's I agree with you. It might be something that they that they have to do. This it might have been in hindsight, it might have been a little early for a certain website us to uh, say Jacquez Smith was the best running back double side in years. It might have just yeah, been. I mean, it, might, it might just been one good game. Yeah, I mean, happens to the best. Yeah, happens to the best. I, mean, I still think he's got ability, but it's the same. It's the same story. Like, is he? I don't know. Is I mean, put the ball on the ground two weeks in a row now. Right. Um, we'll see. I mean, again, we'll get to to North Texas in a, in, a, in a few minutes. I mean, they have not been a good run defense yeah. at all, and we'll talk about that. Stan Drayton has talked about how UNT typically plays three safeties, and they're you know they're going to try to take away what Temple does in the passing game, which could open up the run game, but we'll see. We got to see it to believe it. I did ask Stan Drayton this week about just every week. It's talking about the offensive line, talking about the offensive line. They have what they have. They have Rich Rodriguez at center, who is about as banged up as he can be. I think he came, he was slow to get up a, a couple times last week. Bryce Toman, who I think is starting to play better, Pretty much now is your left guard. Luke Watson, a true freshman at left tackle. Wisdom Quarsheet, right guard. Victor Stofelt, right tackle. Victor got, I think he otherwise played a very, a fairly solid game, but he got blown up on that strip sack. So those were the two. It was the strip sack of BJ Warner and the Joe Quist Smith fumble that that led to 14 points for, uh, for UTSA. I asked Stan on Monday about the offensive line. I just said, you know, at the midway point of the season, how would you assess the the play of the offensive line? And here's what he had to say. Uh, there's a lot more we can get out of them for sure. Is there improvement? Yes. Steady in certain people. Some no. You know, um, you know, but again, we're staying as positive as we can in that respect. It's not like we're going to be able to, um, you know, clone another one out there, you know, in the hallway somewhere. Right. So we, we got to, we got to continue to work with the guys that we have, and I know that their heart's in the right place, and they have their limitations, and we have to, you know, make sure that we, as a coaching staff, put them in the best position so that we can perform within their strengths and not as much as their weaknesses. So we, we got to find that that formula. He's kind of acknowledging it was one of those moments where he's basically kind of acknowledging without being too harsh, we have what we have. And granted, again, he and Chris Wiesahan are responsible for coaching the players they have, whether they're, they're guys that they've recruited, whether they're holdovers, you know, they, they seem to be excited about guys like Kevin Terry and Eric King in the future. Although those guys are true freshmen, I, they would have to, we think they'd have to be a, uh, a step behind Luke Watson who's also a true. Freshman. No, I mean, Terry just hasn't been in Pats the entire year. Yeah. So okay. I think that, I don't know if that's necessarily him behind being behind Luke Watson. He's just never been, he's just been in street clothes on the sideline. Yeah, or do we know if he's hurt? I would assume that he's hurt, or yeah. for whatever for whatever reason he's ineligible. I would say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you hear him say there, we're not going to be able to clone another one out there, which is typically a uh, coach saying like we need to keep recruiting and we we need a a lot yeah. of help there. But, My issue with that though is like that was always going to be the case, right? Like like they entered this offseason being like we're losing Adam Klein, we're losing um, mm -hmm. Isaac Moore, like. Everyone knew they had to bring in guys, and the guys they brought in, Diego Brajas, Chris Smith, Smith. Diego, Diego Brajas started off and then got injured for whatever reason and got replaced by a true freshman. Mm -hmm. Erica, Chris Smith has, has just has not played. Yep. I yep. I don't know. Like I feel like, yeah, like that's like a not an excuse, but like, yeah, like, like, like he's not wrong in the sense of like, yes, they're gonna have to recruit and they're gonna have to bring guys in, but also that's a result of like your inability to recruit and bring guys in this past yeah. offseason. Yeah, absolutely. Let's look at this North Texas team. They're two and three and coming off a 27-24 loss to Navy. Uh, they have the third best scoring offense in the American. They, they're putting up almost 34 points a game, but 
their defense has been terrible. They're allowing almost 40 points a game. They're second to last in the conference in sacks, although Temple was only one spot ahead of them. Uh, they've allowed 11 passing touchdowns through five games. They're also the worst rushing defense in the league, which I was referring to before, where maybe just maybe Temple can start to get things going there, maybe in a, in a USF type of way. Last year, where Red Sadie really went off. They're giving up almost 260 yards a game on the ground. They've allowed 15 rushing touchdowns. Only UAB, the, the Trent Dilfer-led uh, UAB program, has given up more. They do have a good running back who Strand uh, Drayton referenced Monday in uh, Io Adei. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. I mean, he's a shorter guy. He's 5'7", 190. Uh, had a really good game against Navy, 125 yards and a touchdown. Their quarterback, Chandler Rogers, is a Louisiana Monroe transfer he kind of worked his way into the Cal game early on, and he had a 75-yard touchdown run last week, Then he ended up with 33 rushing yards because of those eight sacks. I mean, they just they played a, a horrible game in terms of protecting him last week. Hasn't thrown a pick since his first week, and, and now he's going up against the Temple defense. Like we've mentioned that Kyle pointed out, hasn't first uh, forced a turnover in four games. Logan Wilson, one of their safeties, is their leading tackler. Stan, like we said on Monday, he talked about how they run a 3-3-5 defense, and you'll you'll hear him here talking about when he was asked about their defense, you know, what what the challenges are that they present, where he thinks they, they might be able to take advantage. You'll hear him say here that they're not as big a team as they've played in, in previous weeks. But this was Stan Drayton on Monday during his weekly Monday press conference uh, talking about North Texas's defense. Just their system, you know, I mean, their their size, uh, size is a, is a decent matchup that way. I think uh, they're not as big as what we've played against, but they're as quick and as fast. Uh, very, very twitchy up front, very twitchy at the second level. And again, the safeties are, uh, with three safeties being as deep as they are, right? That can very easily turn into a drop eight situation, um, which you, you got, you know, what, three to four receivers out there catching the ball with five guys out there. So that can be a tough situation from time to time. And that's our strength right now, you know? So um, just systematically, they know what they're doing back there. And, um, you know, we just gotta see if we can find the holes within that. So other than that, with their defense, Kevin Wood and Mason Richards are, are one of their defensive linemen. They have two sacks apiece. Uh, Wood is a pretty good player. He's a former Conference USA all-freshman team player. What are we thinking heading into Saturday, guys? I mean, I, I think I think this is a winnable game for them. It should be a winnable game for them. I don't know the Temple's a bowl team anymore, but if you're looking at winnable games left on the schedule, they, they can put up points. And... You know, they they have a quarterback in, in Charlie Rogers, or excuse me, Chandler Rogers, who's made some things happen for him. But this is, albeit on the road, this is a game that should be winnable for him. Agree, disagree? Look, you know, on paper, yes. And I, I do think this is probably the most winnable game left on the schedule. I think looking on paper and, and hearing Stan say they're not a physical defense, they're a quick defense. It screams to me tight end game. It screams to me just up the middle, like maybe you run the ball, but get the ball quick. I think this is a winnable game. I think this is where the defense maybe starts to build a little more confidence for the end of the season. I think if they don't win this game, I, and I hate to be negative, okay? I'm not a negative person. That's not who I am. <laughs> they just may not win a game the rest of the That's year. That's not the Declan Landis that we all know and love. Absolutely not. You know, I, I try to try to be this warm, cheery, bright personality. But frankly, if if they don't win this game on Saturday, I don't know that they win one the rest of the year. I think I would agree that you're a positive person. Oh, thanks. Look, like I've told Javon, he's not a positive person a million times. Like Javon, like I think there's like <laughs> Javon was very, very upset with John Harbaugh <laughs> over the weekend. Yeah, let's not even get into that. Like there's no, some, there's that was, some. That was not great. We got we got to talk about that, buddy. Like you got to get that stuff out. That stuff's just gonna poison you from the inside. <laughs> like you, uh, therapy. Yeah, like, but I think I agree with most of what you said. I think, especially the tight end part. And to be honest, like regardless of even the opponent, with a banged up Ahmad Anderson, Dante Wright's still coming back from an injury. Um, Zay Baines didn't play against UTSA. You don't know if you're ever gonna see Ian Stewart again this year. I think like there's a reason they were successful towards the end of the year last year, utilizing the tight ends. Like that's what they did down the end to put up points. I think they have to get back to that. Um, I agree that if they lose this game, I don't know if they win another game this year. And that's not to say that like they can't beat UAB or South Florida or Navy, like some of these bad teams, but I think just demoralizing wise, 
if all of a sudden they're two and five and they lose to a bad UNT team, then it's like people are going to start making business decisions and start, you know, just kind of like taking themselves out mentally or physically, whatever it might be. So I think they win this game. All that being said, I think UNT is like bad, bad. They're like last in the nation in scoring defense, last in the nation in rushing defense. I think Temple's going to have to, they're just going to have to utilize the tight ends. You're going to have to do basically, if you can copy and paste the offensive, if you can copy and paste just the general performance he had against UTSA, UNT's such a couple notches below UTSA that I think Temple would win this game. Over-under is like 71. It's the highest it's been for a Temple game in like three years. Vegas is not expecting any defense. I'm not expecting any defense. Uh, it would be nice if Temple actually forced a turnover because five straight games without a turnover is really would, be, would be unheard of. I don't know if that's scheme or players or what, or the fact that every team knows they can just run the ball against Temple and there's no reason to take shots. But yeah, this is a must win if you want to have any any chance of the bowl, which I don't think they have a chance really at this point anyway. But if you want to have any chance, you have to get to three and four because you can't be two and five and expect to win out. Can they, let me ask you guys about this question. I agree with you. I think it's a winnable game. I think they should win it, but um, and I'm not trying to make uh, Iowa Dei or or Chandler Rogers out to be all Americans, but they can both they can both run the ball. Mm-hmm. And Temple just has been gutted there again. In case you didn't know, Alan Hay out for the year. Demeric Morris, we believe, is out for the year. KJ Miles, the Georgia Tech transfer, out for the year. So Mahone's battled injuries as yeah, well. Yeah, they're just they're just decimated up front and. You know, Conlon Green might turn out to be a pretty good player, but at the end of the day, he's a true freshman who was playing high school football at this point at last season. I didn't see, and there's a question about Everett Withers in the mailbag that we'll get to in more detail. I don't, if they're trying to, to support those guys up front, and I, I think week after week after week, we hear uh, communication issues, misfitting gaps, stuff like that. It seems like it's happening way too often, but can they stop those guys enough to win this game? I like th- think like you just said, I think it's going to end up being a shootout. And like, mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't think there's any way this game gets played in the twenties. I think the only chance Temple has is if they put up 35, 42, 49 points. Mm-hmm. And at that point you really just need to get one or two stops, which like, yeah, they've been good for one or two stops a game for whatever reason that is. But no, I don't think so. I don't, I think this is gonna be another game where you look at Everett Withers defense and you go up, oh, that team gave up 410 yards and 35 points. And, you hope that that's less than what UNT has, but no, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's scheme schemable at this point. I don't mm-hmm. think it's like the NFL where you're like, well, we put in a good game plan this week and we really changed things around and we we're able to take this away. I think like they are just so hamstrung by the lack of bodies at some key positions that the only way offenses really stop get stopped is if they stop themselves at this point. Yeah. I know it's like a, ter- like a incredibly depressive way to put it, but like, it's kind of the truth. Like, even when UTSA had the punt, it usually was a result of the fact that UTSA had eight penalties and they were really sloppy and kind of put themselves in bad situations at times, but they still won that game and put up 49 points. Kyle's predicting a win. You predicting a win? I guess. I mean, 45-42 is screaming in my head, and I think that's what I'm going to go with. And f- you know what? For the sake of of covering you know, a good rest of the season, I'm going to say Temple wins. Yeah, I'm going to say 48-38 Temple win. Why not? But I'd say 42-35. Yeah, 7 point 7 point win. I just think that yeah. like I don't think by any means I think there's I don't think there's conspiracy, but like Temple wasn't given any favors by the fact that all of its like winnable games are on the road this year. So like you never know what's going to happen. Like they're playing bad teams on the road, which I'm sure UNT is viewing this as, "Hey, look, if we want any chance of the bowl, we got to beat this bad Temple team." Yeah. Right? Like so I, I think it just yeah, comes down to they're also coming off of last week thinking like they just lost a very winnable game yeah, against Navy. Navy they gave up eight sacks. And again, I mean, they, they Navy, regardless of who they put out there, they like to be aggressive on defense, but eight sacks is eight sacks. So, all right, let's get to the mailbag where you guys have thoughts, questions, concerns, emotions. We get it. We're here to, to, to we're, listen. We're great active listeners. Active listeners. Yeah. Oh yeah, baby. Javon, just putting that out there. We're always here to listen. <laughs> no comment. Um, the first uh, the first question here comes from the alscoop.com message boards. The screen name is Berkshire Al. This is a basketball one. Thoughts on the preseason American Athletic Conference poll for both the men's and women's teams. The men were predicted to finish 12th. The women were predicted to finish 9th. 9th, yeah. I do feel strongly about this. 
Oh, and, you, go ahead. You have a strong take. I think it is what it is, but go ahead. I feel like the women's team should be ranked higher. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's a higher ceiling for the women's team than ninth in the conference. Mm-hmm. I think it should have been like fourth or fifth. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's going to play out. Like, I think we'll see that in the first couple weeks of the year. Like, mm-hmm. I think, I think this team has a lot to prove and they have a lot of, a lot of pieces rebounding is going to be a question mark and like interior for both teams. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, but like interior presence on both ends of the floor might be a question mark, but I think this team has a lot to prove. I think they've got a lot of gunners, a lot of shooters. I think this is going to be a really good team. I don't know if I'd go as far as saying it's going to be a really good team as if I'm breaking down, you know, other as if I'm breaking down SMU women's basketball. But yeah, I think, I mean, I think Diane Richardson has good guards in Aaliyah Nelson and Kendall currents is coming back from that injury. Uh, I think towards the end, they were just so depleted roster wise. Like they had nobody out there through roster attrition that like, it was kind of a miracle that they were in any games, but no, I agree. I, I wouldn't surprise me if all of a sudden they finished third, fourth in the conference and you're like, say things are on the right track. Men's wise. They don't have to put me out there anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. that's my thought though, because I mean, at times they were playing six people a game right. and they were still in conference games. Yeah. Like, I don't know that any, any other team made a leap like Temple did this offseason. I, I think I think they underestimated that team, but I think the men's team is like properly rated. In the men's poll, the only teams that are behind them in the preseason coaches poll should should say it's a preseason coaches poll, not a media poll. Charlotte is 13th behind them, and then UTSA, Florida Atlantic, which of course went to the final four last year, is first. Memphis is second. Tulane UAB goes on down from there, but I don't know that, that anybody was going to expect Temple to be higher than than tenth in this poll. I mean, they they've got a lot to prove. Again, we we know how much they lost between Damian Dunn, Jamil Reynolds, Zach Hicks. Right. Um, so that doesn't that doesn't surprise me. It, it's it's bulletin board fodder for both programs. It was a 500 basketball team that lost so many people that there's basically two contributors back. Like you have Jaleel White and Heisier Miller. Other than that, every other person either didn't play consistently or they're different programs. Like, it doesn't surprise me that a preseason poll doesn't put much faith in their ability to kind of gel together early. The good thing is, these polls mean nothing. They mean absolutely nothing. nothing. They are pointless. They're It's like in football, right? Like, West Virginia was predicted to come in last in the Big 12, and right now they're pretty solid. And every American team that took that leap up to the Big 12 has yet to win a game. When you said these polls are pointless, you whispered it like Ron Berg, and you think these bears are massive. <laughs> Everybody panic. Like, I, no, like they really are moving. just like pointless, though. Yeah, like it's kind of like I mean, whatever. It's even worse when it's at like a national level. Like the coaches poll, the top twenty-five coaches poll mm-hmm. is ridiculous. Oh, like, some they, of the votes are wild. <laughs> these coaches do not care about these other teams that are not on their schedule, nor are they the ones <laughs> casting the votes. Voted for my kids' eighth grade CYO team. <laughs> Honestly, I would do. Honestly, the 12U downtown Young Whippets team, it could be out there. You never know. Watch out. <laughs> Watch out. Young Whippets on Manor Avenue. Prideful basketball team. Good. They kids. play like behind Kottmeyer Stadium, though. They play like a mud field behind it. They don't let them use the actual stadium. <laughs> Zach, let's a little inside baseball there from Downingtown. Yeah, I was well, inside down. I only knew it because you sent it to me the one time. Yeah, I wasn't kidding. I was literally like, what was it? Uh, the opening game like somebody was getting ready for college football i was like i'm watching 12 U, yeah 12 U nice. uh pop winner football right now scouting shout out Ryder harlan yeah kyle's nephew is a very good football player oh really he's just a big football player we'll see if he's good we'll i see. keep telling him this i'm like are you, I, I literally tell him it's like are you good or big he's like sometimes like i'm just big and i was like yeah let's figure this out the last time i saw him he was like half that size and that was at your rehearsal dinner in your way he's like six foot 185 190 now for a 12 year old 13 year old oh he's in eighth grade so was that 13 he turns 13 in february i should know that he turns 13 february oh my god or did he turn 14 february i I just imagine little declan like having a social studies test last period and then going to play church ball and seeing a six foot one like (laughs) every now and then i'll get like a tiktok and algorithm where it'll be like Middle school football literally had us like in gym in second period and then going to take math tests right after that. Like they're <laughs> like in our jeans without showering. Hey, you smelly kids. <laughs> take a test here. Um, off the hook three on Twitter. Two questions here. The first one, do you think Everett Withers was a band-aid after DJ Elliott left, or is he going to be a permanent hire? I, I think he band-aid I, I, any hire two weeks into spring ball. I don't want to call him a band-aid hire, but I think it was predictable. There was familiarity here. He was he was Stan Drayton's chief of staff. I mean, he really had a significant hand 
in shaping Stan Drayton's first staff. Do I think he's going to be a permanent hire? He could be. I mean, like, again, at the end of the season, the narrative will be some of the things we talked about. You could say, yeah, they've, I don't, they've underperformed. They've given up a lot of points, a lot of yards, but what was he working with personnel wise? I'm sure it's a lot more detailed than that. Uh, I don't know that he was a band-aid hire. I think if if you're Stan Drayton, you don't have weeks and weeks and weeks to, to think about picking your next defensive coordinator, unless you want to have a GA run your defense during spring ball, which is not ideal. Right. I could totally see him being around next season based on the familiarity that they have with each other, but I don't know. I mean, maybe at the end of the season, Stan is frustrated and he says to his friend, Hey, I know you've helped me. You've been a mentor to me, but I, I need to move in a different direction or, you know, maybe Everett moves in a different direction after the season. We'll see. I don't know. I think he was a comfort hire. I think yeah. it was just like, yeah, like, look, Hey, I, I had to take somebody to prom in two weeks. I'm going to take the girl that's always just kind of been on the side, like, like Stan <laughs> for whatever reason. Okay. I mean, of. like in fairness, like Stan and Everett, where there's a lot of, history together and like yeah like you said like who else are you gonna it was either promote from inside whether that was chris woods or i don't even know like yeah somebody like that or go get Everett withers i couldn't see any scenario in the middle of spring where they were like let's go bring like somebody that runs a completely different system although to be fair they also spent all spring saying like hey it's the not same system the this is tumble yeah. system the same system it is not the same system it's no, not it's nearly not. as aggressive it's yep. just like Leighton jordan has been healthy for the last five weeks and just is unable to get pressures yeah I would say that I think that's very fair. Again, I know they've had injuries, but you know, DJ Elliott was, yes, he had Darian Varner, but I don't know. I mean, he was working with a, a similar group and they were able to get pressure in a lot of different right. ways. I think he was a lot more creative. I, I think he's a very good sharp football mind. There's a reason why he got hired by Nick Sirianni. Yeah. So it's the biggest disappointment in Tumble season, to my perspective. Like I understand like losing games is what it is. It's the fact that like the defense is just unable to do like anything exciting. 100%. And they were able to be exciting last year. Yeah. yeah. Second question, Temple Athletics Department. Temple's Athletics Department spends a lot of money. They are well ahead of some of their AAC peers. How come they can't seem to get it together? I mean, that's a a lot of facets to that question. A lot of that goes back years and years and years, systemically not investing in facilities at the right time when they were in the Big East, The, the, the foundation there for for football was lacking, a lack of of giving, fundraising. I mean, there's just, there, there's so much, you know, the athletic department has had its high moments with, with basketball, certainly, but right now they're caught on the the wrong side of conference realignment. They're caught on the wrong side of NIL until they make some progress there. I mean, I don't know that that's a, the, a question that's, that gets answered, you know, in the, in the span of 30 or 45 seconds on a podcast, but I will, I will uh, turn it over to you guys. See if you have any thoughts there. So you don't know if we can do it, but we're gonna try. That's what faith, you're saying. I have faith in you. I, Dude. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot, there are a lot of things that need to happen for them to, to interact right. together. They have yeah. to, you know, I mean, again, Stan Drayton, Adam Fisher, Diane Richardson. If we're looking football, men's and women's basketball, those three primary sports, all ultimately responsible for the players they're coaching. We know they're all rebuilding, but hey, I mean. They're gonna have to. They're gonna have to try to win in spite of some of the talent they have. But like, like Kyle pointed out, if we're just going on the field now, look at the offensive line recruits. They didn't until we see better play from Diego Barajas and a guy like Chris Smith who isn't playing. That's on them. But I mean, there are a lot of systemic issues that have gotten Temple to this point. A fan base that is very fickle. And you know, when they again, I don't expect anybody. I feel like I've said this a million times since we've been doing the scoop. Temple loses forty nine to thirty four on a chilly rainy day i don't expect this fan base to be juiced up but if you want to sit at home and sit at home and sit at home and say we should be in the acc they should do this they should do that you taking any money that you're donating off the table and taking your toys and going home is is not the way to do it there, i mean there's a lot there's a lot that goes into this agreed i think temple has <laughs> succeeded in spite of itself in the past i don't think temple was necessarily doing things well five six years ago i think it was able to succeed in spite of the ways it was doing things poorly yeah so things have uh, to change. And just the yeah. entire like idea of college sports is shifting and it doesn't feel like enough is changing with it. And that's, you know, mm-hmm. a larger conversation. Yep. I wanted to add my two cents. Uh, Kyle had to drop off there. Glad we were able to spend some time with him this week on the scoop. 
a couple more mailbag questions here to answer before we close out this week's podcast. Next one comes from our friend Sean McGady, who runs the I'll Be Back podcast. Sean's question, if the university came to you personally and said, who do you want as the next president, who would you pick slash or what would you look for in the next president? So it can be a specific name or person or what would you want them to have on their resume or be successful at? Well, you're you're a Temple student. You're a very engaged Temple student. You have done, you're a peer mentor. You've done academic advising. You're involved in a bunch of student media outlets. You're the general manager of WHIP. You're a sports editor at the Temple News, in addition to the work that, that you do with me, you're a pretty engaged student here. What, what do you think Temple should be looking for in its next president beyond the obvious stuff? I think, and maybe this is obvious, so maybe I am kind of like, but I think the biggest thing is, is visibility, um, accountability, and communication, mm-hmm. right? I think those are three things that maybe I took for granted in leadership before coming here and then realized, you know, with everything that went down over the first two years of my college career, uh, you know, starting three years ago, I'm a junior. So, and I think God rest her soul. That's what made president Epps so good was Mm -hmm. that she was everywhere. Like Mm -hmm. I would see her just walking around, which is not something I can say of former presidents. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I saw her, you know, talk to students, be willing to talk to us at TTN, go on 97.5, the fanatic with, mm-hmm. with Anthony Gargano and um, just do the little things to be part of our community at mm-hmm. Temple and beyond. Mm-hmm. And I think she, like, she was always the first person to hop on an email and say, this is what we're doing as you know, the head of temple to alleviate this situation, or this is what we want to do to do this. And that's not something we had previously. And I think if they are going to try and find somebody as close to her as you can get, because I think that's what this school needs. It had, those have to be the three things at the forefront, because that is, is what temple in my mind has struggled with. And that's kind of going to be the basis for what they need to do moving forward. And then just speaking from an athletics perspective, like that accountability of understanding what the situation of athletics is and, and things like that. So I, I just, I think those are the three to answer your question, Sean, like those are the three things that, and I don't nearly speak for any group of temple students, just speaking purely for myself, but that's what I would want to see. No, it's good stuff. And and as as most people know, I think Temple has asked, the university has asked for feedback. They're 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 gathering feedback. They have sent out a survey. You know, I, I work here as as the managing director of student media, and I work with Claire and the Claire Smith Center for Sports Media, Mark with Mark Zumov. I worked here for 22 years. Adjunct professor. Adjunct professor teaching a class tonight. No so I mean, and I have a lot of thoughts on this, and I think it's a lot of stuff that other people have said. The person, the next president needs to, I don't think it needs to necessarily be a past Temple person, but it needs to be somebody who gets Temple, wants to get Temple, wants to get all the great things that Temple is and can be and gets a university that is situated, excuse me, situated in a community. Uh, One of the things that and this is going to sound like such a simple story, but going back to Joanne Epps, back in, I want to say, I think it was late April, uh, in the fall and in the spring at Klein College, we have these faculty and staff assemblies. And she came to speak and she was fantastic. She was just so smart, so genuine, so down to earth. And she said something that people needed to hear. And she said, you know, she was talking about just everything that the campus had been through, losing a, losing a police officer. You know, the, the violence that has that has been part of this city uh, that's encompassed, the, the, you know, there's gun violence has been a huge problem in Philly and North Philly, in the country, the pandemic, you know, a, a decline in enrollment, obviously the change in, in, in presidents, a grad school strike. It was a rough year for Temple. And she said, you know, it's still okay to feel great about this place. This is still one of the best schools in America. And she's right, but I think people needed to hear it. And I think that Temple, which is cool, has always had like a little bit of a underdog mentality where years ago it was like, we're the Harvard for the every man or the every person. 
this is still a great place to work. And I think that sometimes people forget that when a place is at a lower point, that's an opportunity for someone to come in and affect real positive change. Whereas like you have some people saying, well, I don't know, would someone want that job? There are a million people who would want this job. Just, just like if Stan Drayton resigned tomorrow and someone said, oh, I wouldn't, wouldn't want to coach at Temple. They're not a Power 5 program. They need more NIL resources. I, I'm sure 50 to 100 people will be lined up for the job. They can find the right person. And a lot of times that's when people, the right leader can come in and do their best work and say there's still a, a, a ton of potential at this place. It may not be, and again, I'm obviously not on the search committee. It may not be a sitting president. If I were to guess, I don't know that Temple will get a sitting president from another university, but it might be a vice provost, a person who is on their way up. And I think it needs to be somebody who can be who can be confident, but can also be humble. I think it needs to be someone who spends the next year on this campus getting to know anyone and everyone. Everything. And Everything. also, but somebody who does, and again, because this is a sports podcast, athletics does matter. Dean Smith said it years ago, athletics is the front porch of the university. It can affect enrollment. John Cheney used to say, God rest his soul. Every time we play on national TV, it's a two or three hour advertisement for Temple. He helped put, yes, it's a great academic institution, but he helped put Temple on the map. You do need somebody who gets athletics. You need somebody who gets donor relations, engagement. You know, again, Temple is lagging behind Pitt and Penn State in those areas. And we know that, but it can be done. It can be done. They can find the right person. And I think, again, like Temple is ripe for the opportunity to hire uh, hire a good leader and somebody Somebody also, and the final thing I'll say, and again, it sounds like a, a daunting list of things, but it is someone who knows how to get things done. Again, of course, easier said than done with the city and with the state. Somebody who can form a really good relationship and a good working relationship with, with the next mayor of Philadelphia, who's likely to be Sheryl Parker. Someone who wants to work closely with Josh Shapiro and Josh Shapiro, it is in Josh Shapiro's best interest for Temple to do well. I'm sure he wants Temple well, to do well. He campaigned here. He yeah, knows. campaigned here. And, you know, again, there are certain limitations in terms of state funding based on how, the, you know, the representation in the House and the Senate and all that stuff. And we don't want to get into politics, but they they have to know how to get things done in the community and really listen and be very genuine. And they obviously have to hire the right people, but it can be done. And it's a shame because again, I've worked here for a long time. I have two degrees from this place, but the thing I think of is it can be done and they, a good person can be found. I think the right person is going to come in here and say, this place is ripe for some positive change. We're not abandoning our mission. We're not going to you know reinvent the wheel, but there's still a lot of great things going on here. Cause sometimes I've heard people say, who would want that job? So many people, a lot of people. would want this job. So Kind of rambled there, Sean, but I hope that answers your question. Last question to close things out here. This is from Twitter. From The Twitter handle is JTS045. His name on Twitter is Call Me the Bad Guy. Question here. At what point did the losses start to add up to where changes are needed with the coaching staff? This is, of course, football. Whether that's the new coordinators or maybe even Stan Drayton being on the hot seat, NIL has its place in the blame. But at what point are the coaches just not getting it done with wins and losses? Fair question. You know, I, I think every I think every week we try to assess where the coach is doing well, where are they not doing well. I mean, we just spent some time earlier in the podcast talking about again, we're not watching oodles and oodles of film like the coaches are. Everett Withers has limitations in terms of his personnel, but I think it's it's more than fair to say that statistically and even just by the eye test, he hasn't done as as good a job. As DJ Elliott. I mean, DJ Elliott coached a really good for a guy who came in as a he was not a first year defensive coordinator in his career, but in his first year at the program, did a really good job. So, I mean, everybody's subject to criticism. I've known Chris Weezahan for a long time, and I really respect the hell out of Chris, but he's had his hands full with the offensive line. He had a hand in recruiting Dago Brahaus. He had a hand in recruiting Chris Smith. Why are those guys not playing? Are they dinged up? Are they just not good enough? Yeah, I, I think it's all subject to criticism. I don't think the Temple's going to make a change after this season. I again I could see if Everett Withers, Everett Withers has been a head coach. He's a veteran college football coach. I could see him leaving for another opportunity and maybe Stan saying I could benefit from having a new defensive coordinator. 
you know, there's always change. Every staff undergoes change. And if anybody on Temple staff is being viewed as a guy who's doing well, they're going to get an opportunity to go somewhere else. But sure, the, the, the coaches have to be held accountable. But I don't know that Stan is on the hot seat just yet. That's not me saying that Stan gets an A plus for this season. Of course, right. I think he sounded a heck of a lot more confident in the direction of the program this past week. I think after the Tulsa loss, he was really dejected a couple of Mondays ago. But sure, time management, recruiting, it all gets brought into the forefront. I don't know that anybody's on the hot seat, but I mean, I can almost guarantee you there'll be changes on the staff, whether Stan wants to make changes or those guys leave on their own. I think they all could be doing a better job on a team that yeah. is under 500. But yeah. I don't know that you're going to see if ultimately call me the bad guy here on Twitter saying, is there going to be a coaching change at the end of the season? No, I don't see that unless it gets so bad. The one thing, and again, it may not mean anything to fans. It was so bad under Rod where there, there were just so many leaks coming out about meetings are bad. The players don't like them. The players don't respect them. Morale is terrible. I don't think it's like that here right now. I think Stan and his staff are a lot more respected than Rod, who is now Indiana's offensive coordinator. So, hey, it's crazy. Good for Rod. But Unreal. I don't think it's in that area, but yeah. I think if we're still having some of these conversations next year, yeah, you know, I'm not trying to give him a free pass, but I don't think there's going to be a coaching change. Yeah. I think typically like in my head, head coaches get three to four years mm -hmm. to, you know, actually get their players in and then let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. If anybody, like you said, I think Withers is probably the most on the hot seat. And even that is kind of not, great because he's had so many injuries and had so much yeah. to deal with as well but Langstorth I think has has definitely secured his position with the changes he made last week um the way that he was able to adapt the offense if that continues but recruiting has got to be better next year because oh. if that if it doesn't get any better then maybe we start talking. But about that's it. a whole other conversation. And let's talk about Danny Langsdorf for a second. Again, like Everett Withers, I think Danny knows the game really well. Temple's not going to win this league. I'm not saying he's one of the, the the hottest assistant coaching candidates out there. But if I'm Stan Drayton, I'm thinking, hey, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm going to have Danny with me next year. You never know what opportunities assistant coaches might have. Everett could decide to retire if he wanted to, or maybe he gets it. Maybe he can go. Obviously he was on Stan's chief of staff. He was his chief of staff last year. Went down to, went, you know, went down South FAU, right? Yes. FAU or FIU? FAU. FAU. So it comes back, but he will see movement on the staff, but those guys could have options. And when it comes down to recruiting, I think a lot of it's going to be through the portal. So they have to be very judicious in the portal because again, newsflash to fans who sit there and think they've got to get this guy. They've got to get that guy. It comes back to NIL. If yeah. they're in the mix with one of the top players in the city, one of the top players in the region, South Jersey, North Jersey, Southeastern Pennsylvania, and that kid has options and he's being recruited by four other finalists and all the players in that program get a certain allotment of NIL money just for being on the roster. Temple is at a competitive disadvantage. So we have to look at it through that lens when it comes to recruiting. I would expect them to be more portal heavy than they were this past year. So we shall see. Good talk. Great talk. Great talk. Kyle, thanks for joining us. I'm saying it like he's like he's here. I had to <laughs> had to dip off the podcast. Here but yes, still very much alive though. Yes. Yes. So thank you all for joining us for another episode of the scoop. We'll be back next week. Talk a little bit more hoops as basketball season gets closer. We'll have any recruiting updates that might come along to pass along to you guys. So thanks again for joining us for another episode. We'll talk to you soon.